0: howdy folks today's episode is all about the gear oh yeah it is right after this welcome to camera shake where we bring you the insider scoop on all things photography and videography giving you a unique opportunity to stay ahead of the curve we've spent literally hundreds of hours interviewing some of the most renowned photographers of our time giving you access to knowledge and expertise that's not available anywhere else. As always, I'm your host Kirsten Lutz, and if you enjoy this content, consider lending your support on buymeacoffee.com forward slash shake to help us create more exciting episodes for you. Your support really does make a difference. But without further ado, let's dive right into today's gear fest. If you don't know that, I've just come back from one of the most stunning places on the planet, the La Fulton Islands. You must have been living under a rock. But for those of you who are new here, Here's a super quick roundup of what's been happening over the past few weeks. I went out to the Lofoten Islands, 200 kilometers north of the Arctic Circle, to teach one of the most breathtaking photography workshops around, with Dave Williams, the foremost expert on the Northern Lights. Together, we taught how to photograph the Northern Lights, the breathtaking landscapes of Arctic Norway, portrait photography with our Viking models who accompanied us for the entire trip, and we even went on a wildlife safari to shoot sea eagles out in the fjords of the Arctic Ocean. If you haven't yet, check out last week's episode for a first-hand account of how it all went. But today, I want to talk about gear. The gear we used to create incredible imagery and the equipment that allowed the participants uh, to turn this workshop into a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So, I'm going to hit on camera equipment, lighting gear, and of course, the all-important question, what the hell do I wear in the Arctic? But let's get started with some camera gear. Now I've got to say, photographing the Northern Lights has by far been the most difficult thing I've ever photographed. It was a completely new experience to me, and without the guidance of Dave Williams, who's an absolute expert in this, um, I think it would have failed miserably. But uh, here are a few things that you really need to in order to photograph the Northern Lights. I mean, one is a camera. I used my Nikon Z6 II, which incidentally is the camera that I'm filming with right now. Um, So there's just a standard, there's an old D750. Um, But basically, you need um, a mirrorless camera or DSLR um, with interchangeable lenses. That's, you know, that's an absolute must. Um, Some of the participants had Canon gear. um, There were Canon R3s, R5s and R6s, I think, as far as I remember. Uh, All of those worked well. Um, Absolutely no problem. So you need a camera with interchangeable lenses. In terms of lenses, uh, really, when it comes to shooting the Northern Lights, you want to go wide. So I shot a lot with uh, twenty-four to seventy on the twenty-four end, um, but uh, also shot with a fourteen to twenty-four, which is which is this sort of lens here, super mega wide. Uh, you get incredible, uh, almost like panoramic-looking um, images. The the sky when the northern lights kick off, the sky literally explodes, and it's such a light show that it's uh, it's 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 just you want to go as wide as possible because otherwise you just miss the light, the great light show in the sky. Um, what's really incredible is how far these or how fast these things move. Um, that was the thing that really I think struck me uh, the most. Uh, by the time you're you set up your camera and you know you manage to focus in the in the dark very difficult um in i mean i say dark pitch black will be the way to describe it um literally you know there's a mountain there um but it's all pitch black so you don't really have anything to focus on tricky thing i uh, will be discussing that um on a live stream on sunday uh sunday coming up so i'll be putting that into the facebook group so uh follow that if you are not already but yeah focusing in the dark super difficult you want to go wide um and uh, like i said 24 to 70 or 24 and or 14 uh 14 to 24 um also 13 uh, what i'm saying 13 uh, for, uh, 15 to 35 uh, will do the trick just as well that's the kind of lens you're looking for you want to go wide you want to get as much starlight as possible into your you know onto your sensor and you know photographing these uh, photographing the northern nights in the sky you just you know you just want to take as much in as you can so so really those are the, the lenses of choice now for the uh, portrait photography um i personally prefer to use an 85 so this 85 here uh, is the thing that i used the lens that i used predominantly for for all of the uh, portraits that i shot there um 24-70 works quite well if you're shooting like a wider uh, wider type of portrait I think one of the most outstanding things um, about this workshop was really just the fact that, you know, you can literally, you can turn your head and you turn it into one direction and there's a photograph there because the landscape's amazing and then you turn around and there's another photograph there because the landscape is equally amazing. So um, for landscape landscape photography, wider lenses are, are key. Um, but then, of course, because we had our Viking models with us at all times, we could just pop a Viking model into the shot and then start taking portraits of you know portrait images of those vikings in their natural habitat which is very cool um, you can treat that as a landscape photo with a viking in it or you can treat it as a portrait of a viking in their natural habitat yeah. you can take pictures of vikings anywhere theoretically if you had somebody you know a model in costume um but just placing them in that landscape in this really authentic uh, landscape, it was it really did something. It was very special. Um, I think the images are really, really unique. There's just something really special about that. Um, and it's not only the images, it's also creating the images um, at that moment, you know, because you can really feel what it was like or what it must have been like a thousand years ago. Um, the landscape there really hasn't changed. It's It's still, you know, as... We we're talking about in last week's episode is still as rugged it is you know brutal in a way um as it was back then so uh, that was quite that's quite a cool thing to do anyway for that i like to use an 85 um and of course another another portrait lens that works really well in that scenario is um a 70 to 200 works really well and it compresses the background my thinking was really more like, well. If I compress the hell out of the, the background and I, you know, and I create sort of a you know, your typical kind of headshot type portraits with a blurry, you know, blurred out a background, then what's the point of being in the Fulton Islands? Um, my thinking was, you know, I really want to see the background. I wanna see the location um and the surroundings. That's the whole point. If I blurred the hell out of that, then, you know, I might as well just shoot that down the park, down the road from my house. That we wouldn't make much of a difference. So so i didn't really want to blur out um the background particularly so for me my choice really was uh was my 85 which i love for all of that um but 70 to 200 super awesome lens works really well for for portraiture of course and it worked really well on our sea eagle safari uh, which i gotta say again what a unique experience to see these animals um you know in there in the habitat we were on a on a speedboat um we went out there. Um, they were, I don't even know how many eagles there were. 30, or 40, I don't know. I mean, they were all around It's like a, a colony, I guess you call it. Um, it was a really amazing um, experience. They are fast. They are really fast. Um, and they come, they come up really close to the boat because they're curious. And they want to check out what's going on. So uh, they fly really close over the boat. Um, so a 70 to 200. Will absolutely, do the trick You get some amazing images with that in that kind of scenario. Um, I was shooting with a, with a 200 to 400, um, which was cool, but that lens is so heavy, it's so heavy. Uh, oh, it was, I just figured I need to go to the gym if I want to shoot with that again, um, because it's an incredibly heavy lens, um, and so you find yourself machine gunning with that, you know, meaning you sort of you hold the camera and you just, you know. Spray and pray, basically. Um, that was the thing. Now, I have a lot of excellent photos of wingtips. <laughs> uh, difficult. I have a newfound respect for wildlife photographers. That has to be said. Um, I've really realized how difficult it actually is to create um, amazing images. Uh, the advantage, the advantage was that we didn't have to look for the eagles; they were just everywhere. And um, it was again, it was a, a completely unique experience. I've never seen anything like it. I never really realized how huge these birds are. Um, they can have a like a wingspan of about two meters, which is about six foot. <clears throat> I'm sorry, six foot something. Um It really you know, these birds are much bigger. And when they come up to the boat and they come they fly in, they swoop in really close because they really want to see what's happening on our boat, whether it's a threat or not, Or I think they're pretty interested in the fish that we fed them. I don't know. Um, but they swoop in really close. And, you know, you can see everything. You can see their claws. You know, um, you can see their beaks. You can see their little faces. Uh, I never knew they had eyebrows. Since so when have Eagles? Eyebrows. I mean, that's that was new to me. Um, but that's how close they came. It was, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. Um, if I do that again, uh, would I choose a 70 to 200 uh, yeah probably probably because it's it's lighter you know it's it's lighter <laughs> or would i go to the gym before i'm maybe um being on a boat doesn't really lend itself to using a tripod obviously that would not really happening um even a monopod would have been difficult i think um so it is handheld um and you know and because there are so many so many opportunities to photograph these birds um you know yeah the 400 was heavy <laughs> Too heavy for me. I don't know. I'm a lightweight. Um Anyway, so these were the three lenses. Oh, and it, and it, of course, and the twenty-four to seventy, which is on my camera at the moment, filming me right now. Uh, that's my bread and butter lens. Uh, I use it for lots of other stuff. Um, I used it for, like I said, for lots of uh, portraits, especially when uh, there was more of a landscape in the in the photo. So uh, I love that lens. That's my I call it the money maker lens. It's just the lens that's on my camera most of the time. Uh, when I'm not shooting portrait, of course. But um, yeah, those are the lenses. Uh, what else do you need? Lens cloth, microfiber cloth, definitely. <laughs> there was so much, I mean, uh, it was crazy. The landscape there is just crazy. So, uh, you know, if you're doing anything like that, remember to to pack microfiber cloths, super, super important. Um, that's also because the weather there is, you know, it's changeable. Um, We were there uh, at the back end of September and snow hadn't fallen yet except for on the mountain peaks in the far distance. So we could see snow was coming in. It was only going to be a matter of days, possibly weeks. I know that as I'm recording this now at the beginning of October, um, I've already heard that it's already been snowing out there. So, you know, so the landscape at that time is, is actually is interesting because it's, you know, granite rock. It's Arctic tundra. Um, you know, and and you don't really have snow. In January, it's going to be snow, 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 and snow. So uh, there's another uh, opportunity coming up at the end of January. Um, if you want to learn more about that, you know, head over to iDaveWilliams.com forward slash forward slash forward slash training. I'll put the the the, uh, the web address down here somewhere on the screen. So, uh, but that's going to be. That's going to be Arctic winter, so high time for Northern Lights, of course. Um, incredible when it gets colder, the cold air swoops in, and that means that the the skies are going to be crystal clear. Um, it's a phenomenal opportunity to see the, uh, the Aurora Borealis, or the Northern Lights. Um, but it's going to be cold, and we're going to be talking about what to wear uh, in in just a minute. But I just want to go through a few more bits and bobs that we used um, every every day, every day we were we were on this workshop. Hey, let me just jump in real quick to tell you about the amazing sponsor of this episode, Platypod. Platypod offers innovative camera support systems designed to unleash your creativity. With their stable, versatile, and portable solutions, you can capture stunning shots like never before. And I'm not just saying that. As the host of the Camera Shake podcast, I can personally vouch for Platypod's incredible products. They've become an integral part of the show. In fact, I'm surrounded by various Platypod products holding up lights, cameras, microphones, and so on. It's really helped to transform the way I make the show and the way I shoot at home, in the studio, and on location. But don't just take my word for it. Explore Platypod's website at www.platypod.com to discover their range of products, including the Platypod Extreme, Platypod tripod heads, and the brand new handle, of course. Make sure to follow Platapod on Instagram and Facebook at Platypod Tripods for exclusive updates, tips, and giveaways. By choosing Platapod, you're not only investing in your photography, but you're also supporting the Camera Shake Photography Podcast. Thanks again to Platapod, our amazing sponsor. Platapod, where innovation never sleeps. <laughs> we were shooting landscapes and we were shooting northern nights, of course. Um, that was one thing, but we were also shooting portraits um, of our biking models and. We were using a lot of artificial light for that as well because we really wanted to make them pop, um, and, um, and we also because we did a, a, a lighting masterclass as well, so we we taught um, on location lighting as part of the as part of the workshop, um, and so I chose to take a, a number of different lights that really made that job really super easy. So the the main light um, that I used for this whole thing was a couple of these eighty two hundred Pro. So these are Godox um eighty 200 pros they are phenomenal lights they're I mean as I found out um they are super rugged um they're amazing they really did a great job and they have some real advantages over you know speed lights or, or other strobes and first of all they are very small I mean they're literally not much bigger than uh, than a standard speed light um so you know, in that respect, not much difference. The main difference is is that if you imagine your regular speed light probably has a power output of about 60 to 100 watts, give or take, depending on what it is. Um, this one has 200 watts. So it's two to three times as powerful as a standard speed light. So that immediately uh, gives you a massive advantage, especially when you're shooting on location outdoors. You know, uh, are you going to overpower the sun on a, on a bright and, and sunny florida day summer's day probably not um but but this one you know normally this will absolutely do um so we've used a couple of those um we used gels with those and we did all sorts of different uh, interesting things uh, we used them to front light we used them to backlight um these come with a, a number of different heads so it's got this standard it's like almost like speed light style head here which is great because um, it's very directional and it works just like a speed light Again, you know, with speed lights, you can articulate the head. This one, you can't. It's just a thing. Um, but um, it also comes with this um, additional uh, bear bulb head. And that's a great advantage the second you start using modifiers. So if you're using uh, a softbox, a stripbox, anything like that, then having a bear bulb that, that basically distributes the light or emits the light a little bit more evenly, that's a great advantage you imagine, um, imagine a standard octobox, for example, uh, which we used a lot um, for on, on this trip. Um, if you use the the standard speedlight head, which I can never pronounce, but that's pronounced Fresnel head, Fresnel, 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 Fresnel. I don't know. Anyhow, is that called the speedlight head? If you um, if you use your, your standard speedlight head for this, uh, you'll really create uh, a hotspot in the center of the softbox, and that's especially noticeable when using a strip box. So with a strip box, you know, lighting the strip box from top to bottom, um, that's gonna be difficult with this sort of head. So you need, because it's very directional. So for that, you really need a head that's um, that's more of a bare bulb type of head, like a standard strobe. And with the eighty two hundred Pro, it comes with this bare bulb head, which works perfectly fine. Absolutely no problem. Um, now, we did use Octaboxes on location, um, But there were situations where that wasn't possible, predominantly because of wind. You know, we had Arctic wind coming in, and sometimes it does get a little bit windy out there. So um, we used this little uh, seven-inch reflector type of thing, and um, it's one of my favorite tools because, as you can probably, I don't know if you can see it, but it's traveled quite a lot, and it shows the signs of a lot of traveling. (laughs) <laughs> it's, you know, uh, it's dented and it's, you know, it's a little bit, yeah. It needs, it needs bending, I think. Uh, I need to sort it out. But, you know, it's, it's character. And that works super well because it has a just a standard bones mount. And so um, what you can easily do is you can use these, these little clamp things. So what happens is you can take one of these 8200s and just pop that in here. Now... Now, the eighty two hundred basically has a bones mount, and you can simply attach any light modifier that has a bones mount to this. Perfect. Um, so, you know, we used uh, we used this little reflector a lot. Um, sometimes we used it with the Bebop. Sometimes we used it with the Prisoner Head. <laughs> but um, that worked really well. Um, also very rugged. You know, we're in very rugged terrain out there, and so the equipment, you know, needed to, well... It needed to be routed, right, basically. So the eighty two hundred Pro, I'm really super impressed. Uh, I only just started shooting with those, and man, uh, what a piece of equipment! One hundred percent recommend that. Um, but you don't necessarily have to use this adapter. You can just simply use this, um, this little uh, gear head, uh, which you can screw into the bottom of of the eighty two hundred Pro, and then you can put that on any light stand um, or boom arm. Um, and so on. So you don't necessarily have to use it with uh, with this reflector. You can just use it straight up with what, with one of these. Now, talking about boom arms. Now, I took a number of different things with me. I took a boom arm with me, um, and I took some lighting stands with me. Uh, the boom arm that I that I thought would work well didn't actually work very well because it wasn't really geared up um, to taking the the weight of the light and a modifier. And so uh, that kept slipping. wasn't really didn't really work terribly well. But what did work well was uh, we just basically attached our lights to a Manfrotto light stand, uh, one very similar to this one here. Although it was a slightly a slightly bigger version of this, but that's just a standard Manfrotto light stand. Um, it worked really well. It extends out really quite far. Um, and again, the, the bigger version of that extends out even further. Um, super super solid. Um, the light on there. It just it sits on the on the top of the stand, super tight, um, and that was much more comfortable to use that as a boom rather than actual boom arm. The reason being was um, because it doubles as a, as a light stand. You could just simply, there, let's put that. You could just simply put your light down. You know, open up the bottom of the stand, set it down. It'd be totally safe. Um, and then if you needed to use it as a boom arm again, you just pick up the stand, and use it as a boom arm. It worked. It worked perfectly. So that's one lesson I've learned. Um, and that's definitely something I'm going to do in the future rather than using an actual boom arm, which, you know, once you're done with that, you're going to have to put this down some, somewhere, and it means you're going to have to put the light on, on the ground or, you know, so... And not quite as practical. So I found that using a, using one of these Montroto um, lighting stats, that actually worked superbly. Now, um well, Lighting-wise, well, um, sometimes you just need that little bit more power. And... Uh, there are two ways you can go about that. Uh, the 8200 Pro actually, so godox make this twin head uh, that you can plug two 8200s into, and that gives you 400 watts of power. So basically, it just doubles the power. So you, it's effectively the same as an 8400. Fantastic. Um, so if you're in a situation where it's a really super bright sunny day and you do need to um, overpower the sun for whatever reason and you need more power, then you can do that. That being said. There was not once a situation where that was necessary. So, um, yeah, so single 8200 Pro outdoors worked perfectly fine. Uh, but we did have one of these 8400s with us as well. Um, and that was really useful, um, especially when I did the, the Lighting Masterclass. Uh, that worked really well, just to demonstrate different lighting concepts and so on and so on. Um, but it's a much happier, much bigger light. And... Uh, It wasn't really necessary to take that out on location with us because the 200s worked so well. So, superb. So, uh, I mentioned gels. Yeah, We used some CTOs uh, sometimes just to create some kind of golden backlighting and stuff like that. I'm sure you've seen that before. Um, So, that worked really well. We uh, went to meet the reindeers. Uh, We created some amazing images there as well with, with reindeers, some of the cutest animals I've ever come across. I mean, incredible, <laughs> funniest faces. Um, what else? So it's a perfect location to do a lot of landscape photography. Um, one thing to remember is that filters come in really handy, um, and that could be ND filters, like the big stopper, like 10 stop NDs, for example, um, which allow you to you know create really smooth water and smooth clouds in the sky, and you know, on all these these amazing looking landscape images, um, because we did. I mean, we spent a lot of time in the mountains, but there are a lot of beaches as well. So we spent some time um, at the at the beach. We had um, we had horses available to us, so we shot the Vikings on horses at a beach. And the beaches are amazing. They're like it's called the Caribbean of the North. So they're like white sand beaches and turquoisey blue water. Um, it's just very far up north. So, um, but that was that was incredible. Uh, but for landscape photography. Um, uh, and a D-filter or uh, one of these circular polarizers, for example, um, that works really well. So uh, having a set of filters does make a difference. Um, and again, because it's, it's just a perfect, perfect um, location to to shoot any of any of those things, um, no matter whether you're into landscape photography, whether you're into shooting models. whether you I mean, really, if you're into creating unique imagery, um, then this is such a perfect location. Anyway, so that was... Some of the gears that that we used, um, and of course, talking about tri- uh, tripods, right. I should mention tripods. Um, so shooting the Northern Lights is not really something you can do handheld, uh, mainly because the exposure times are fairly long. So we're talking about anything with I don't know, six seconds to 30 seconds, you know, depending on how dark it is and what the situation is. Um, and, and, and how bright the Northern Lights actually are. That being said, Northern lions are really interesting animals. <laughs> um, they can be really hazy, and you get these hazy colors, and they like cover the whole sky. Um, that could be anything from green, purple, pinks, whites. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, so they can be really hazy, or they can be really concentrated. So then need to have these really incredible shapes. They look like beam streaks across the sky. Um, and... You know, and they'd be so intense that your exposure time could come right down to like three seconds, five seconds, something like that. Um, but in order to shoot at those exposure times, of course you do need a tripod. Um, so, you know, I took I took a little um, Manfrotto travel tripod with me, um, but it works, you know, obviously whatever tripod you have will work really well, but that's, that's definitely a must. So tripod's important. And of course anything that allows you to set your camera down in all sorts of different circumstances depending on what kind of foreground motif you have or you know what the situation is and dare i say of course all of our um, you know platypod products worked fantastically well i mean the uh, the platypod extreme which incidentally is holding up my microphone at the moment so yeah the platypod extreme it worked perfectly you can put that on a rock you can put it on a moss that in fact the spongiest moss 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 the spongiest moss I've ever experienced. I mean literally your whole foot sinks into this stuff. I mean that's that'd be you know my mattress doesn't do that. It was incredible. Anyhow, so um so I used to I used to love platypods, um and and the variety of other uh products like the handle for example came really, really useful, especially when we were filming. Um but yeah, that is in a nutshell, basically the gear um, that we used to shoot, and of course, that was the the gear that all of the participants of the workshop had access to all of the time. So, you know, um, if somebody wanted to do a, a you know a portrait um, shot of a Viking, I'd be there lighting it. You know, um, booming the booming the light in. You know, uh, somebody else would be doing landscapes. Um, we I remember this one time when we just we drove past the location and I said okay, guys, let's just stop here and see what that's like. We, we walked out, and there was a photo everywhere. I mean, we spent a good couple of hours just at this one location, no matter where you look. There was a sea, uh, with the mountains in the background, uh, the rocks. I mean, it was just the sky was phenomenal. So it was really easy to create phenomenal, unique uh, photography there. Uh, again, my mind is still completely blown. Um, and, you know, if, you're, if that's what you want to do, I highly recommend you check out um, the the workshop uh, in the Fulton Islands in January there'll be a lot of snow it'll be cold it'll be slightly different landscape wise obviously it'll be a snowy landscape how it'll be just equally as phenomenal Um, but talking about snow talking about cold yeah let's talk about that for a second yeah what do you wear in a place like that I'll tell you what you wear in a place like that you layer up yeah 100% layers layers and layers Um, you know it's it is the Arctic after all, and it although we were there in you know in late September, it did get cold at night. It did get really quite cold at night when you're out shooting for hours. Yeah, it just get a little bit frosty. So long johns, you know, layer up, um, you know, various layers of um, what do they call them? Like mid layers, of all the rest of it, fleeces, and of course a really warm coat and headgear. That's absolutely necessary. Um, the other thing that I didn't really realize beforehand, but which came in really handy was a little headlight. So I had one of these, one of these little headlights, just because uh, if you ever tried to operate your camera in the pitch black dark, then you know how difficult that is. And for those of us who don't have camera bodies with you know, light up buttons on the back, you can see how that's difficult. Um, and with those exposure times, you really need to keep the lights down to a minimum. So once you set your camera, all the lights come off, and then it's happy shooting after that, but uh, yeah, it was dark and it was cold. Um, and of course, in January it's gonna be even colder. So um, if you are interested in joining that workshop um, in January, then make sure you've got you know gloves, um, you know uh, appropriate shoe uh, shoes or footwear uh, is super important. And of course, you know um, really a thick winter jacket, hat, that sort of thing. Um, that's that's gonna get you through those cold winter nights um out in the Arctic. But yeah, it's a look. <laughs> what can I say? Anyhow, it was fun. Now, um I think that's pretty much it as far as the equipment is concerned. If you got any questions, um then you know please put them down uh, in the you know in the comments. Okay folks, that's all for today. But before we go, let me just recommend another episode that I think you like. Check out episode one hundred and seventy two a discussion with all of the participants of our La Fulton workshop with some great insights into what the experience was like. I'm sure you'll love it. If you enjoy our content, consider supporting us on buymeacoffee.com to help us continue creating and bring you more exciting episodes. It really does mean the world to us. And for those of you who are listening to the audio version of this podcast, did you know that there's a fully-fledged video version over on YouTube with plenty of examples of our guest's photography in full Technicolor? All you have to do is go over to YouTube, search for Camera Shake Podcast, and you'll be able to watch all past episodes on there. And if you are on YouTube already, well, get in touch and leave a comment. And remember to hit the like button, ring that bell, and share with your friends. You can help us reach a greater audience all over the world. Once again, thank you for listening and watching, and I'll see you next Thursday.